Hi Shannon, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's nice and sunny outside. It was absolutely pissing it with rain earlier today, so I'm delighted that the sun is back. It's the exact same here. I mean, it's not sunny now, it's getting better, but the rain was just... It's not what we need. I want the sun back. That's what I need. need. Do you know, I was speaking to someone in London today who was saying that the weather was horrendous and someone in Nottingham was like, what are you talking about? It's so sunny and it's so warm here. Mad. It's just crazy, isn't it? It's crazy how different it can be. I'm going to London next week, so let's hope that the weather looks up. (laughs) Well, London weather is always better than everywhere else, except like this week. So you'll be grand. Especially Scotland, that's for sure. (laughs) Shannon, what are we talking about today? Let's stop pissing about talking about the weather exactly i know so today is a biggie guys we're talking all about client contracts now contract in itself i mean you'll know is a huge huge topic but client contracts is a super super important one pretty much everyone needs them you need you know you might know them as terms and conditions or t's and c's they pretty much mean the same thing everyone needs them they're important for getting paid for kind of you don't be sued there's lots and lots of important aspects so today we're talking all about that how exciting. Well, do you want to get started? Have we got some some um, audience questions to ask? Yes, we do indeed. I've got a bunch of questions to ask you guys. We love a bit of Q&A here, so that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, pretty apt timing, actually, because yesterday on Facebook, I saw a post that said, does anyone even use contracts anymore these days? It was very interesting, so it was very apt. Um, so my first question is, what is a client contract and why do we need them? Oh, well, do you know what? Like, it feels like an easy question. It feels like a really stupid question, but it's absolutely not because so many people look, I mean, look at that post that you just listened, like, listened to, just read on Facebook. Like, does anyone still use them? Uh, yeah, they do, mate. And if you're, <laughs> sorry, but if you're not using them, you're a little bit scuppered. Client contract, it sets out the legal relationship between you and your client or your customer, right? I'm going to use the term client we mean customers as well. Um, we mean whatever you're selling, if you're selling goods or services. Um, we normally deal kind of mostly with service providers, but same concept. Um, it's it's the document that regulates the relationship between you and your client. Now, that might sound really boring and as if I've just given you like a legal lecturer's answer, but it sets out what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, what you're going to charge, what happens if you don't get paid, what your liability is, can you be sued? And if you can be sued, how much can you be sued for? Um, What legal system governs your contract? Really important because it's like literally knowing the language of something you're reading. Um, And then it covers off all the other things you've said you'll do as well. So if you're a tech provider, um, have you agreed to do things by a certain time and a certain date, otherwise known as service levels, Um, that, that kind of thing. So there is really, really important to regulate what you're going to do and what you're not going to do in summary. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so next question is, this is quite a common one that we get actually, is it a legal requirement to have a client contract in place? Yes and no. Um, no, because you can literally just go and trade away with your client if you want. You know, you don't need to have a contract. Um, there are exceptions that I'll talk about in a second, but you don't absolutely have to have a contract. The reason you would have one is to limit your liability and to be really clear who's doing what and deal with situations where you might not be getting paid, etc., etc. Um, also, it just makes you look like a professional and like you take business seriously, which as startups, that's something that a lot of the time people can struggle with is to be taken seriously in the market. Why I'm saying yes and no is because if you have insurance, 
Um, while this isn't a legal requirement, if you have professional indemnity insurance that we spoke about last time, one of the requirements will often be that you have a client contract in place. And if you don't have a client contract, your insurance is probably invalid. I'm going to say that again because I want everyone at the back to hear me on that one because I feel like everybody forgets this. Your insurance could be invalid if you don't have a client contract in place. So that's a biggie. Um, the other exception is if you're in some sort of regulated industry. So I am obliged by my regulator to give T's and C's to my clients before I start work. Otherwise, I could be struck off. So um, that's that's really important to bear in mind as well. There might be a specific requirement for your industry and there's probably an insurance requirement. But there's no nobody's going to go to jail if they don't have a contract. Okay, I think that's a pretty misconception, a big misconception a lot of people think. And I hope everyone has their notepads up, by the way, taking notes <laughs> so you can go and do all of this if you haven't already. Okay. Get it on the to-do list, get it on the to-do list. Exactly. If you listen to this podcast, just create a legal leverage podcast to-do list and you'll have loads <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, so next question is, what are the kind of most important bases that you should cover? I know it's like, how long is a piece of string kind of question, but what are the most important areas that you should be covering in a client contract or client terms and conditions? So every client contract, and again, yeah, you keep saying it, Shannon, and you're dead right. Like, contract terms conditions pretty much the same thing and I'm sure we'll get on to different use of the terminology at some point later but let's just call it a client contract for ease but we mean T's and C's as well both like both of them all kinds of contracts are pretty much going to follow a very similar structure you'll have what service or good probably services in most cases you're going to be providing what that'll be like the first part of it um, the next part will be what you're charging, when you expect to be paid, what happens if you don't get paid. You might have some specific clauses in there to do with your industry. things like, And you might want to cover things like confidentiality, data protection, etc. That will all be dependent on what you're actually doing. Liability, biggie. Um, you want to have um, a cap on your liability so you'll and, and some other things that, again, I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, so you'll include that in a kind of big chunky section and then you'll have boilerplate wording and sign it off. That makes sense. Well, for smoothness, why don't we just move on to the question of is there a difference between client contracts and terms and conditions, the kind of terminology that we've been talking about? Yeah, so... No and yes, because I love to answer every question in two different ways. Um, (laughs) No, there's not a difference in that they're all legally binding contracts. They all set out your obligations to clients and what clients have to do for you, etc. The difference is a client contract and that terminology is when like you've got the party names at the top, the client signs, physically signs the contract Terms and conditions, T's and C's, that's more when you're kind of sending across your standard terms and you're asking someone to accept them. Now, they can accept them by ticking a box on your website to say that they've accepted them. They can accept them by replying and saying, I accept your T's and C's. Or if you're really clever, you can have something in your T's and C's that says, if you proceed to instruct me to carry out these services after I've sent these T's and C's, you're deemed to accept the T's and C's. Um, all of these things, whether you sign, whether you tick box, whether you accept, whether you instruct off the back of terms, all of that is a legally binding contract. In every single situation, you have created a legally binding relationship. No one has any more um, dominance or importance over the other. It's just dependent on your industry, admin. Um, if you're signing a big client that pays you 30 grand for one month's work, 
and you're fully focused on that client, get them to sign a client contract. If you're churning work through and you're sending out quotes five, six, seven times a day, send it out with T's and C's. Like you don't want to deal with all that admin. And if you're making sales over a website, you're certainly not going to start sending people things to sign. You want a nice little tick box that makes like everyone's life just that little bit easier. Understood. That makes a lot of sense. So is there a specific a specific time that you need to send across a contract in the kind of client signing up stages or does it really matter? Yeah, this is like a loaded question um, because there's been lots of like developments recently that have made this a bit tricky. So generally speaking, your client should sign or agree to your contract before you start the work. Um, that just makes everything easier for everyone. If you start work for a client and then remember to send them a contract three weeks later, you're kind of relying on them not being pissed off with you yet before they start to sign the contract and, and get all that sorted. Because what, what if there's been issues in the first couple of weeks, just teething issues? What if you've had a software breakdown or something and then all of a sudden you send them a contract and they say, do you know what? This wasn't what I was expecting it to be. So definitely get it signed up front or agreed to up front. The reason, again, because I love a hesitation, the reason I was hesitating at the start of that question is because there's a lot of people we speak to who do online eh, over the phone sales. So um, fitness coaches, health coaches, business coaches will do a phone call or a Zoom. They'll sell to that person on the phone and then they'll follow up with a contract. Now, telesales, which is essentially what that is, is a little trickier, um, particularly if you're dealing with consumers, because consumers have a lot of protections that you have to take account of in contracts. Um, the thing to bear in mind there is as long as you've given all the information over the phone when the person made the contract, effectively they've agreed to a verbal agreement and you've covered all the things that you need to do from a consumer perspective, or if it's a business customer, there's less. Um, but they, they've they essentially agreed to that verbally and you're just following up with a written contract. But I'd say follow up with that written contract pretty pronto. Kind of straight after the call, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And what I was also going to say, I think one that we actually had recently um, with a client was someone kind of said that they hadn't had access in the terms and co- terms and conditions sorry when they did would you say just to make them pretty much available wherever you can so they can read them whenever they can go back to them refer back to them does that make sense yeah absolutely so if they've if you're getting somebody to sign something if you're using like a DocuSign or an Adobe sign or something like that PandaDoc make sure it always sends a signed version to them now most softwares will do that but just make sure yours is configured that way if it's a T's and C's make sure it's always accessible to them. So available on the website um, and a, a, a link made available to them, that kind of thing. If people are pissed off with something that you've done, they'll be looking for any opportunity to slate you. If you can very calmly and rationally say to them, oh, these are the terms that you signed up to when they start hammering down your door saying, I can't find the contract I signed, point them to that. It'll deal with everything. They might still come back and be a little bit difficult after that, but at least you've made all the information available to them and you can't be accused of not letting them see what they've signed up to, etc. So kind of cover all bases, make sure it's available to not not have to deal with raging clients, basically. (laughs) When nobody wants to deal with a raging client. 
No one does. Okay, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Perfect. Um, so our this is actually a big one that we get all the time, and it's such a misconception. Our client contracts just about getting paid. No. I mean, yeah, that's the main bit, right? We all want to get paid, love a bit of money, but that's not what it's all about. So yeah, getting getting paid is the biggie, right? It's the biggie. But what you're wanting to really think about actually more than getting paid is your liability. Um, Don't know about you, but I would rather not get paid, but not get sued. So for me, the liability is way more important than about getting paid. Now, it depends, obviously, how how much the service is that you're providing. But if you've offered a service that's like three, four hundred quid and you don't get paid, that's far less of an issue than if you get sued for 20 grand. So you want to make sure that your liability is properly dealt with in your contract. That's the big reason. Now, there's other things you want to cover as well. If you're passing personal data between you and your client, you need to make sure you have that wording in there because that's a legal requirement for GDPR. There might be specific things to your industry that you need to cover. But the, the biggest liability and, and, and what you really want to focus on there is making sure you have wording that says you're only liable for direct loss. So you'll be liable if you do something wrong, but that's it. Not that you'll be liable if you do something wrong and then something happens because you've done something wrong. That That's known as consequential loss for us geeks, um, but you don't want to be liable for that. And you want there to be a very sensible cap on your liability. So that means if you do get sued, you can only be sued up to X amount. Now that amount, more often than not, I would advise clients to make that the amount of the fees you've paid, you've been paid for the services. Um, so if you've provided a service at a grand, you can be sued up to a grand. Some clients might push back on that. Never, ever, ever have a cap that is higher than your professional indemnity insurance coverage. Because it means that if you're sued for more than that, your insurance isn't going to cover it, essentially bankrupt the business. And that's not what you need, for sure. No, nobody wants that. <laughs> No one does. I think also a big one. I mean, it's not kind of as big as liability, that's for sure. But kind of protecting your energy and protecting, you know, your obligations and your, yeah, just like, you know, set boundaries because otherwise you're going to have clients messaging you at midnight, which you don't want, or you're going to have people kind of just pushing down those boundaries that you've set. If you have them set out in your contract, then you have a legally binding contract to kind of cover it all. So that's a important one as well, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about like us all being grown up adults and saying this is what is acceptable and this is what's not acceptable. Um, something I thought you were going to say there, and it wasn't what you said, but it reminded me. Um, a big one that you want to cover in your contracts is always IP as well, so your intellectual property. Who owns what? Um, if you're if you're like a consultant who's been commissioned to prov- to like do a certain work piece of work for a client, and you would never have done it otherwise. It makes sense that the IP in that work would transfer to the client. The client's paying you to write a report. It makes sense that they would own that report. But if you're the kind of service provider who just makes things available to people or you're a coach and you provide a program to people, you have to make really, really sure that you're not transferring ownership of all your stuff, all your materials, your documentation over to that client. That has to remain yours. That's a real, that's a biggie. We've had people that have accidentally signed over their copyright and it's really it's heartbreaking because it's the work that you've put so much time and energy into and you've literally just gotten rid of it in the space of someone signing a contract. So you don't want that happening. Oh, no, no, no. Always get a contract review. 
<laughs> always that's our next episode actually guys plug it in there <laughs> Um, so let's rewind a little bit back to kind of liability. You have spoken about it and you kind of went in depth. But for all of us that don't really understand what liability is, what kind of is it and what kind of reasons would you ever something go wrong that you're liable for and why would you be sued? For example, obviously, that's another how long is a piece of strength question, but... Yeah, do you know, it's funny because I just say these words and I'm like, probably should explain them. Um, liability is is literally what you are liable for. So what you can be sued for. So if you do something wrong and you're taken to court or at least somebody threatens that they're going to take you to court and you have to behave seriously about it, um, that that's what your liability is. So if you were sued for 20 grand, 20 grand is your liability because you've done something wrong or because something has happened that you weren't in control of or you didn't take proper steps to reduce the liability. Um, So the liability is the risk. It's what you could potentially be forced to pay because you've done something wrong. Great. That makes sense. Kind of for uh, liability for dummies covered there. (laughs) Um, Okay. So next one is what if, this is actually another big one that we get. Um, What if I don't want to put clients off by giving them a kind of really scary legal document before signing up and then they don't end up signing up with me? So first of all, like hard truth guys, that is what kids say. Sorry, but it's true. It's what baby (laughs) business owners say. And, and, that is just so short-sighted for a few reasons and sorry to cause offence but it is like for a few reasons first of all do you actually think you're going to run a business for 10 20 30 years time without ever having a contract and never having a problem come on like it's about time that we all kind of up the game a bit and behave like proper ceos that is just the overarching like if you don't want a client contract don't be in business if you're too scared to do it you need to man up a little bit and I don't like it I need to man up a little bit but you have to do it right now having said that it's also a kind of irrelevant point it's not a it's it's not just a case of kind of manning up and getting used to pissing off your clients that's not what we're saying it's actually about making sure that the contract reflects the tone of your business and goes like you have you have to look at it in a different way You have to look at it as you're not annoying the client. You're actually giving them the faith and the security and that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you're taking their money and their whatever their goal is. You're taking that seriously. If I went and worked with a service provider who never gave me a contract, I would be a bit like, what have I paid for? What am I agreeing to? Um, and and I don't think I I don't think that's because I'm a lawyer. I think that is common. Like I have people email me all the time and say, I've not had your T's and C's. Now, as far as I'm concerned, it's because I've not actually contracted for the work yet. But I do get chased for them because people want to know where they stand. Ultimately, you might buzz along for a while without a client contract in place and you might be fine. But eventually someone will ask you for one. And if you just say, Oh, I I don't have one, it doesn't make you look like a professional outfit. So to be taken seriously, you need a client contract. I referenced tone before as well. What you don't need is a 45-page terrifying contract that puts all the liability on the client, makes you a saint, and terrifies the life out of anyone. Like two to three pages max for most businesses will be fine. Now, if you're a kind of software reseller, that's not going to cut it. But for like coaches, consultants, a few pages setting out what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, fees, liability, IP, etc. 
that can all be written very short, very concise. It can be written in the tone of your business as well. And that's really important. You want to make sure that your contract is a reflection of the sales conversation or the marketing output that you've been putting out there. That is super, super important. And it's something to bear in mind. It shouldn't be the business prevention tool. It should actually make the sale even easier. So, for example, if you're a kind of cut and dry person on that sales call, you were straight to the point, you kind of want to convey that in your contract. But if you are kind of really nice, kind of floaty vibes in your business, you want that in your contract. You don't want a cut and dry to the point one. You want it to kind of like come across how you come across in real life, because why can't a contract convey your kind of vibes? Cringy word, but... (laughs) It's so true. And see law firms that are like, oh no, you need... I, I actually had a client the other day and they said, oh, this law firm told me that I, I needed 15 pages and it had to be really, really like convoluted, etc., etc." A lot of nonsense. Do you know the contracts I write? That they're, they're lovely to write actually for like coaches and they'll say things like, we're so excited that you've decided to participate in this program. We're going to do our absolute best to get you the result. And then we go into like, you've agreed to pay this you know if you don't pay this unfortunately we will have to stop the services until this is paid you don't need to have wording in there that says we will suspend everything and terminate you immediately like it is whatever works best for your business the right wording the right terminology as I say it should be an extension of the sale So kind of think in long story short, think of your client contract as the kind of safety net for both of you. It's not just for yourself. It's also for the client. Might feel a bit shit sending it out, a bit scary, but you need it. So like Bab said, man up and just send it. (laughs) Man up. (laughs) Man up. Exactly. That's the phrase of the day, guys. (laughs) Um, Okay. So next question. How You've kind of covered this already, um, but how do we go about kind of getting clients to sign the contract? Do we have to physically have them physically sign it? Or like you said, there's checkboxes or is there any other ways that you can kind of go about that? Yeah, so there's, I kind of touched on this before, but yeah, I mean, signing is great. Um, people like to use like signing software, etc. because it, it makes the client feel bound to something. So if for whatever reason you want the client to feel that way, then I definitely get them to sign the contract. Um If you're like a service provider who's working with bigger clients, you will definitely need to undergo negotiations. So it makes sense to have a contract that is signed because you're going to change it anyway. Standard T's and C's, as I said, you can have a tick box to accept on the website or you can even just send them by, if it's email that you you deal with for business, you can just say, look, I'm providing you with these services. I attach my T's and C's. If you want to go ahead, these T's and C's will apply. That, if they choose to go ahead off the back of that, it's a legally binding contract. All the same. There you go. Sorted. Sorted. Um, okay, I know. So my next question is, can I write my own client contract or is it best to have solicitors do it? Not that we're biased or anything. <laughs> um, you can. You can write your own client contract. And some people like to do that because I spoke to someone who said it made them feel like they were they were seeing it from the client's perspective and they could like work out what might a client ask and and it also meant that if a client asked them a question about it they could answer now if you're going to write it yourself and if you have budget for legal resource get it checked and um, that is that is a cost effective way to do it it's certainly cheaper than getting a solicitor to write it for you it, it it kind of comes down to a time versus cost management thing. If you've got enough time on your hands to write a contract, 
and you don't want to pay so much write it yourself get involved in the process enjoy the process it can be an enjoyable process if you're thinking about how to grow and scale your business and how that you know you're coming across with the right tone but get a solicitor to check it you don't want to like have looked online and picked a clause out and it actually means something entirely different from what you thought it did and you've actually just caused yourself more problems if you are time poor but a bit more cash rich get a solicitor to do it for you make sure that you properly set out a scope of what is required in the contract what you're delivering how you charge etc anything else that's relevant and make sure that solicitor gives you a fixed fee we only operate off the back of fixed fees because we like to be really transparent and clear with people make sure any solicitor you engage does that and also make sure that they really understand your business and what you're trying to convey that makes a lot of sense thank you very much i'm just going to reverse back to the last question because i forgot to say this um another so there's a couple of good softwares and kind of websites that you can use for um like signing contracts it doesn't have to be physical pen and paper like docusign you can use adobe i think you said another another couple earlier on babs yeah um there's panda doc um that i've seen and there's another weird one can't remember oh hello sign hello sign Yeah, and they're all legally binding. Yeah, e-signing is a thing of the future, guys. Save the trees. (laughs) Just thought I'd pop that in there. (laughs) Hippie vibes. Um, Okay, this is my last question. We're almost there. Um, We've kind of covered this as well. But I want to just kind of drill in how important it is to have have a client contract in place. What could go wrong if you don't have a client contract? Now, we've already spoken about being sued. That's obviously a huge one here. But is there anything else that could kind of go wrong? Oh, my God, yeah. You could lose your house, burn down the whole building. Like, no, that's not going to happen. But there's lots of things. Well, it could. You never know. It depends what you're buying. But um, there's lots of things that could go wrong. Obviously, you could be sued. Um, what if there's disagreement on the fees and f- because you've not been clear you have to take a big cut, basically a big pay cut. Um, If you've not written it in the client contract, what if your IP transfers to the client? What if you've spent years and months and all this time and energy and resource pulling together your own brand spanking new process of how to do something and all of a sudden it's owned by your client? Um, What if the ICO, the data protection regulator, comes along and says, show me the data protection clauses in your contracts because you're legally required to have them. There is a lot of things that can go wrong. That includes being sued, losing things that are yours, losing money and being fined. So none of these to me are very pretty. So let's not do them. No. We've said it before, it's not what you want and it's not what you need. So take note, guys. Okay, well, that was my last question. All I had to ask you was, is there anything else that you want to kind of tell everyone about client contracts before we head off? Or do you think that we've covered everything? I think just bear in mind that the legals aren't supposed to be scary. They're meant to be accessible and they're meant to be there to protect you. So if you've had an experience before or you've spoken to a solicitor that's made it feel scary, then you've got the wrong impression of what and and not your fault by the way but you've got the wrong impression as to what the legals are there to do you it's so important that you treat your business like your baby you're the it's your business right you're the only person that's going to look after it and you have to do everything in your power to protect it running a business without a client contract is not treating it like your baby and it really really has to be of paramount importance last week we spoke about setting up properly you absolutely have to have those things in place but contracts my god right up there is the most important thing 
Well, there you have it, guys. Wise words from Babs on client <laughs> contracts. I think that's us all done. Thanks so much, Shannon. Very excited for next week's episode because I think we're going to dive into some other contracty stuff. Yes, we are indeed. We're talking all about reviewing your contracts and not signing up to contracts that could basically have you screwed over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Shannon. It's been great chatting to you. It's been really great chatting to you. I just want to say, guys, if you have any questions that you want to pop over to us that you want us to cover in these podcasts, you can pop us an email at legalleveragelaw at gmail.com. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Bye. Have a good day, guys. If you'd like to hear more about the Legal Leverage Framework and access some free resources, including free guides and trainings, pop over to our website, which is jamesonlaw.legal and click on free resources. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Tune in to our next episode to learn more about how to grow and scale your business the right way.